Well, we are spending these uh, weeks of Advent looking at the sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John that we call the I Am sayings, and there are several of them. In fact, in many churches that have stained glass windows, many churches have that theme of the I Am sayings in, in their stained glass windows, and it's just something that orients our attention toward those metaphors that Jesus used to describe himself and what his ministry was all about. They occur in a particular pattern in John's gospel, and I want to give you that pattern. Sometimes the Bible geek, as I've called him, comes out and he's helpful in describing how we can read these texts and under understand uh, the Bible geek in me is what I meant to say is, is helpful helpful to understand how to read these texts and and how they fit into the overall literary structure of, of John's gospel and what happens in in every case is that Jesus performs some sign or miracle and then he goes into a discourse at some point in in the text about himself and and makes use of one of these I am sayings that is sort of illustrated in the sign that he has just performed or the sign that he points to in a particular place or text. And then an argument or a discussion almost always ensues as to what this actually means. And some people like what Jesus is saying. Some people scratch their head at what Jesus is saying. and, And some people don't like what Jesus is saying. And We see that pattern occur again and again throughout these I am sayings. And what they're all about is Jesus kind of trying to correct a perception that people have of him. He is pointing to the truth that he's more than the king they want. And he's not simply the prophet who has come into the world whom they want to force to become their king. He's not the savior they want, but he is the savior they need and trying to help them to understand that because he is the savior who is restoring relationship with the father. Last time we looked at the the passage in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And essentially what Jesus was saying is, is I'm the path. I'm the road to the father. I'm the one who is the means by which you can know the true heart of your creator. And today we're in John 6. I am the bread of life. And the context of this passage is the miracle of the feeding of the multitude. Jesus feeds that multitude. People come after him and press in on him. And John tells us that they wanted to take him by force and and make him king. And so Jesus withdraws to a mountain to avoid that encounter with the crowds. Then later in the text in John 6, he has the miracle of walking on water. And then we pick it up today in verse 22, right after that miracle. And I'll only be reading verses 22 through 25, even though this bread of life discourse goes all the way through to the end of of chapter 6. But let me read John 6, beginning in verse 22 through verse 35. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and they also saw that Jesus had not got 
into that, that boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum to look for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, What sign are you doing to give us then, so that we may see it and believe in you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, help us to step back and to consider what truly satisfies. Help us to turn our eyes away from those immediate fixes that are not fixes. And to look down that long road of relationship with you. That you accomplish in and through your son. In whose name we pray. Amen. One of the things that is easy to observe if you observe much about religion in this world, irrespective of what religion and what God, is that religious people often have a strange relationship with food. Most religions have some kind of food restriction. Christians claim to have gotten rid of all of that with Jesus and with the words of the Apostle Paul, but I'm not so sure that's always true. I think of a story of uh, Mary Ann's and my rehearsal dinner when we got married, and one of the pastors who married us, Elizabeth Nordquist, her husband John was there, and after dinner we served an incredibly wonderful, rich just the essence of good chocolate, a chocolate dessert that was, the recipe was in the Los Angeles Times California cookbook. It had become kind of a family regular in our household, and my sister made it, and John took one bite of it and moaned and then said, this is whipped sin. You have to know John 
who is this incredibly astute culinary kind of person and good food and good wine and good desserts and good chocolate are something that he deeply appreciated. But what he called that cake was whipped sin. In other words, this is something that tastes so good it could not possibly be something with which God is okay. It can't possibly be something of which God approves. And obviously he was joking, but it's indicative of something that I think we Christians have not totally given up, the religious craziness that surrounds food. Chocolate is often the thing that people identify that they're giving up for Lent, as if somehow the absence of chocolate can bring them closer to God. And chocolate is, of course, not inherently evil. In my opinion, it is intrinsically good. <laughs> but nor is it the, the, the primary tool of the devil to tempt us away from true faith in God and then supposedly tempt us away from the more boring foods that God wants us to eat. But we do these strange things with food we spiritualize food because food is so central to our sustenance, obviously. We spiritualize food because food is central to life. It's central to our survival. Hunger is a powerful motivator in our life. It's a driving force. It's one of the things that keeps us alive. And so the troublesome reality of that desire, the troublesome feeling of hunger, especially unsatisfied hunger, gives us pause and we don't know what to do with it because food fills one kind of physical hunger. And therefore, unfortunately, we often use it to satisfy hungers that it cannot fill. And Jesus uses food here in this passage uses food and hunger as a, a metaphor to describe himself, as a, a way of pointing to a deeper longing and, and what it is that fulfills it. The context, of course, of this passage, as I've said, is the feeding of, of the multitude. And after that miracle, the crowd comes after Jesus and says, this is probably the prophet who is to come. This is the Messiah. This is the one whom we have been expecting, and so they pursue him, and they want to take him by force, John says, in order to make him king. And then comes after Jesus secludes himself and goes back across the lake to Capernaum, comes that encounter that we read this morning, this teaching about himself. And the crowd presses in on him once again, all happy to see him once they found him on the other side of the lake. And, and Jesus says to them, you've come after me not because you saw a sign, not because you had some sense of a divine thing taking place, not because you saw a sign of God's work, but because your stomachs were filled and you want me to keep filling them. You want me to be the king who makes sure that the harvests are plentiful, that the economy is running well. 
But there's a more enduring food to consume, says Jesus. And that's exactly what I want to give you. And then the people come back and they say, so give us the formula. What must we do to connect with this source of life in order to do these works of God? And Jesus says simply, I'm standing in front of you. Believe in me. And they say, oh, okay. But show us a sign and we'll believe. Now, if you haven't already caught the irony of this, perhaps one of those eye-rolling emojis needs to be put in your Bible right after this line. Or maybe think of the show The Office where someone of the characters says something insufferably stupid and the camera all of a sudden sort of surreptitiously focuses on the one who understands the stupidity who is making that face of rolling their eyes. What do you mean, show us a sign? What just happened? They say, show us a sign. Moses, to quote the Old Testament, Moses showed us the sign of manna in the wilderness. Moses did something that enabled God to pour down this bread-like substance from the heavens when, when we were hungry. Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. What sign do you perform? And Jesus essentially says to them, signs don't prove anything. They might wake a few people up to pay attention to who is the, the true source of life, but they're not enough in and of themselves. So if we look at verses 32 through 34 again, let me just read that and we'll see this. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, he says. I'm the fulfillment of your deeper hunger. But that's not the bread they wanted. <laughs> and so they say, give us this bread always. And here's the real pivot point in the text as far as I'm concerned. There's a kind of urgency in their request. Give us this bread. We want it now. And Jesus at one point earlier in the story did give them bread in the moment, but it wasn't enough and it never is enough. And it wasn't any better, as he pointed out, than the manna. Because there's a different kind of bread that has come down from heaven. Those things were just a sign of God's provision. But they were only pointing to something bigger than themselves. They were signs. The bread that endures to eternal life is eaten continually on that long road of relationship with me. So follow me. Come and see. Abide with me. Take me into yourself. Make space for me and let me abide in you.
If you read beyond verse 35 in this passage, they still don't get it, and Jesus has to go one step farther to make the point. And he says to them, eat me, essentially, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no part of this. Eat me and become like me. You'll grow up into eternal life, become livers of the life that endures because you'll become what God and who God has created you to be. St. Paul uses the same image when he talks about how the spiritual work of, of growth in the Christian faith is like growing up into the one who is our head and allowing the one who is our head, Jesus Christ, to, to be the influencer of our bodies. So eat me, he says. And that was just too much for them. Too much for many people. And so many went away because it's too hard, too weird, it takes too long, it's too uncomfortable. When I was in seminary, one of my uh, professors, a preaching professor, Ian Pitt Watson, was talking to us in the preaching class about various ways to illustrate biblical texts through contemporary imagery and metaphors. And one of the ones that he mentioned that, uh, that I just loved, and it's, it just sort of rooted itself in, in my imagination and, and memory, is he was talking about a credit card that at the time, and this was the early 80s, apparently was used in, in Great Britain in the United Kingdom. And it was a credit card called Access. And he said, you know, there's just something about their motto that's just positively evil. <laughs> and he said, this is their motto. Access takes the waiting out of wanting. <laughs> I think of that today when I hear this request, give us this bread. We want it now. Give it to us now and take the waiting out of wanting. Fill our stomachs now and we will be satisfied. And Jesus is saying all the while, yeah, maybe for a time you will be. But the quick fix is rarely something that satisfies our deepest hunger. What satisfies the deepest hunger is that long road of relationship. And so I want to end with a question and a plea, both of which come from God in two different sources. The first is the question, Linda read it earlier, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Hearken diligently unto me and eat what is good. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's eat the fat of fatness. <laughs> and then a plea that comes from the mouth of God in Psalm 81. Oh, that my people would listen to me, for I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Jesus' identification of himself embodies both this question and this plea. I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never be hungry. For this is the food that endures to eternal life.
Let's pray. We pray for humility. We pray for patience. We pray for confidence that that long road of relationship on which you invite us is not just a once-for-all satisfaction, but a daily feast on your love. So give us the energy in and through those tastes of that deep reality of your steadfast love and help us to forge ahead and to be reflectors of that light of your love in our world. For we pray in your name. Amen.